This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Dinah Jeffries, we're already laughing. Dinah Jeffries, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, uh, Dinah's in the UK, and as you all know, I'm here in Sydney. Um, She's also the best-selling British author of novels, including The Separation, The Tea Planter's Wife, and The Tuscan Contessa. Much of her work is influenced by her childhood growing up in Malaysia. Her most recent novel, Daughters of War, is the beginning of a new trilogy about three sisters during the Second World War in France. Now, listen, what we like to talk about on the Better Reading podcast is how you came to writing. How I came to writing in the first place. Yes. like we got. I want you to go way, way back to mm. when you were little and tell me what you liked reading and were you, did oh, you think goodness. you were ever going to be a writer? No, not at all. It wasn't in my scheme of things. I did love reading, although I can't really remember what I read back then. It was so long ago. But I've always loved reading. It's been a sort of place to escape and live in another world, you know. I didn't, in fact, start writing until I was 60. So you can see I'm 73 now. So um, I started writing when I was 60 because we were living in Spain at the time. And there had just been the sort of financial crash of 2008, Mm -hmm. uh, which meant we had some very bad investments. We couldn't carry on living in Spain. My husband was going to come back and rejoin his company in England. And I thought I'd already um, been an artist for some years, a painter. And I'd sort of run out of steam on that one. And I'd had this idea about writing a novel for sort of about six months. I had no idea if I could do it. I mean, I've got a degree in English literature, but it doesn't in any way prepare you to write a novel or understand the process of writing a novel. The only way to do that really is to write a novel. Anyway, I started writing a novel because the crash was so awful for us that we couldn't sell our house in Spain. And if we didn't sell our house in Spain, we couldn't afford to come back here and buy a house here. So in order to sort of escape the drama of what was going on in our lives financially, I thought, well, I'm going, I'm going to write a bestseller. That's how I set out with no idea how incredibly difficult that was going to be. Um, you know, but if it, you had told me that at the time, I'd have thought, oh, how deluded is she? I know. How deluded <laughs> is she? How deluded? Everything, everything I read said I was deluded. Everything, everything I read said, oh, over
over a certain age, forget yeah. it. And I thought, yeah. well, I'm, I'm absolutely not having that. <laughs> so I put post-it notes all over the place that I was writing in the house, up in the attic, in this Spanish house, saying, you have written a number one bestseller. You have an amazing agent and a brilliant publisher, uh, blah, blah, blah. And you had none of that? Uh, no, I had. What I did have, though, with the first book I wrote, which didn't get published, was an agent who really took an interest in me and said, send me your next book. So I sent the next book a year later, which was The Separation, which she bought and sold within sort of a minute to Penguin in the UK. And that was that. That book wasn't a bestseller. However, the next one, The Tea Planter's Wife, was a Rich and Judy pick and a Sunday Times number one. And it stayed in the Sunday Times top 10 for 16 weeks. So that I'm going to write a bestseller did happen. <laughs> you know, when I asked you that question, it's not in my notes. I did not know that. And I am telling you, I can't tell you how many people ask me for advice about writing, right? Not that I'm a published author. It's just because I run this business. Yeah. And I say to them, you've got to start early. You've got to start young. You've got to do a lot of practice. <laughs> you've got to keep <laughs> writing, which I think is all really good advice. Yeah, but yeah. if you had come to me when you were 60 and you hadn't studied writing, you didn't do a creative writing course, you'd not written anything, I really would have said, sorry, Dinah, I think that's not for you. <laughs> and how wrong would I have been? Well, you know, there's always an exception. But, I mean, I've always been a little bit of a maverick. If if anyone told me I couldn't do something, I would find a way to do it, you know. And I've, I've always been creative, worked in drama, and I wrote a children's story once, um, nothing happened with that. And I've always kept a kind of diary, especially through sort of traumatic times. So writing and language was always a big part of me. But were you, have I, you been a big reader as well? Oh, God, yes. All my yeah. life. Yeah. yeah. All my all my life. I tend to listen now to audiobooks. So do I. Sort of, yeah. 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 I adore them. I adore same, them. And same. I tell you who I, my favorite author, one of my favorite authors, now I'm not going to remember her name. Irish one is Tana French. Australian one is Jane Harper. Harper. Yeah. Yeah. I love her. I've the read dry. all yeah. I've read yeah, all four of her books. I didn't think The Dry was the best. I love The Survivors, I, but I think she's brilliant. I yeah. absolutely love what she does. Yeah. So tell me when you're first writing The Separation, because I'm always saying it's kind of um, you're making me look bad here because everything I've been <laughs> saying to people for so long <laughs> is not true in this instance, but I'll take it. But, you know, I always say what makes, because people often ask me what makes a good book. Right. And I always say it's the craft and the idea. And when they come together, that's when you get a good story. So, how do you come across the craft if you haven't written before? Talk to me about that, how you approached it. Well, I learned as I went along. Right. And I'm still learning. I mean, yeah. I think with every book you write, you face a different challenge and you learn a bit more mm. uh, with, uh, um, with a new editor, which I now have because I stayed with Penguin for seven books and then I wanted to do something a bit different with this trilogy. And so I have a different editor now. And so I think when you have a new editor, they have a different approach and you learn something new and different from them which you may not have learnt with your previous 
editor. And I think I just learned on the job, really. I think perhaps I was lucky in the sense that I've always had a massive imagination, you you know, told the children stories, always been Mm. um, that sort of a person. Well, I Um, guess being an artist as well, you're a storyteller in a way, aren't you? I think that's what I am, actually. Yeah. I don't I don't ever think of myself as an author. Um, I sort of become an author when I go and do an event or mm. something. I've only just really begun to think of myself as a writer. Mainly, I, I've thought of myself as a storyteller. And I will always be a storyteller till, till they don't want me to be one anymore. Mm. And then I'll be telling stories to the cats. Mm. <laughs> so the success of The Tea Planter's Wife got you back to the UK. Is that right? Uh, no, we actually managed to sell the house during the period of the set when I wrote that very first book that didn't get anywhere. As soon as uh, that was written, we managed to sell the house. But that all took, you know, 18 months or something. Do you know what I'm thinking? I mean, you must be so resilient as well because at 60, if that would have happened to me, because I, I feel as I've worked my whole life towards financial security I mean you know I don't have a lot of money but I've got enough and I feel at this age that I'm comfortable I've made some good decisions you know I live where I want to live I've got a nice apartment blah 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 and if that was all taken away from me I don't know how I would turn that round well, I mean, I didn't think a lot about it. I just knew that if I didn't immerse myself, I mean, I've always liked a project. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's painting a picture or or you know, the house in Spain, that was my project. We took the roof off that house, built up, you know. I mean, it was a big project. It was my project. I barely spoke a word of Spanish, but I learned enough to know what a a prop, I don't even know what they're called in English, is, you know, things in houses that hold up things. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I can't even remember the question. What did you ask me? (laughs) If I feeling that if that was all taken away from me, I don't know how I would be able to turn that around. No. Well, I think it was more a question if I immerse myself in something, I won't worry too much because by then I'd got a granddaughter here in England and my daughter left it very late. Actually, mm. we might never have gone if um, she'd had one before. But, um, yeah, so I was desperate to come back to England and, and I missed England. I missed being able to speak my own language. Mm. My my Spanish was very, you know, I, I spoke a little and I'd forgotten now most of what I learned. But I couldn't have proper conversations with people. Mm. So it, I felt quite isolated, although there were the odd sort of American, Swede, English around the place. It wasn't a... It, it wasn't a touristy or an English-speaking part of Spain. You know, there are those enclaves where uh, there are lots of Brits and foreigners. So why did you do it in the first place? Um, I think my husband had had a lot of, this is a second marriage, although we've been together, God knows, 23 years now, but he'd had quite a lot of trouble with his children who were, I never lived with. They were, they'd left home by then. But, And I think it was and he'd been a single parent for a while. And I think he'd had a hard job coping with two teenage boys and his job. And I think he was just burnt out, really. And we bought the place in Spain just as a holiday house. And it seemed like he needed to stop. 
you know, he needed to stop what he was doing. And we just thought, well, we can go to Spain. We can sell this big house in England and we can go to Spain and we can live cheaply, relatively then, not now. And it it was just a way to give my husband a break. Mm. And how long were you there for? Five years. Oh, wow. That's a decent amount. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I tried to make it work. We even bought an orchard at one point because I thought well, maybe we, we should grow vegetables or something. <laughs> but we're not really, you know. <laughs> thinking small. Right? <laughs> I'll just buy an orchard, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, anyway. <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> mm. So when you came back, and in a sense you are now a writer, did you approach this new career at this age differently to other careers? I just loved it. So oh, wow. differently differently in the sense that I just loved it. I mm. became, t- I mean, I, I think it's an addiction once you start writing it, you know, because it's very hard to stop. When, once you get on the roller coaster of being a writer, it, it, it becomes who you are and what you want to do. And, and it's got so many wonderful aspects to it, as well as heartache, mm. <laughs> quite a lot of heartache, but certainly the joy of thinking up a new idea is suddenly kind of inventing something that never existed before and the characters that you engage with and the story that you find yourself researching. I love all that and, and I adore editing. I love editing. Once you've got a, a first draft and can do something with it, it's like moulding a sculpture, mm. but I hate the first draft. (laughs) I think, Dinah, I've probably spoken to over 300 authors and you're probably the first one ever to tell me that they like the editing process. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I I think people find that challenge. Well, most authors find that challenging. Uh, They appreciate it and they completely understand it, but they do find that difficult. But, you know, I think also with a career like writing, I mean, I've said this before on the podcast and it's, you know, I don't have the stamina for it because you spend so many months writing. I mean, and that can't be easy. Then you finally, you know, for some people they have to find an agent and then they have to find a publisher and finding an agent doesn't necessarily mean you have a publisher. And then finally, if you get through those processes, you get it published and then you put it out there into the world and everyone has an opinion. Oh, I know. I don't listen to the opinions too much. You don't? Um, No. no. My first editor with the first book, The Separation, she said, Dinah, don't read your reviews because the ones you'll remember are not the five-star reviews, the glowing reviews. The ones you'll remember are the one-stars or the negatives. Mm. And And they can be really brutal. Yeah, it's awful. So when a book comes out, just as Daughters of War has recently come out in England, I look at the reviews on Amazon, say, to begin with. And mainly those are the reviews from the bloggers who do the blog tours. Um, and they're usually proper reviews. And I just read them because for me, what's interesting about a review is someone is throwing a mirror back to you. Mm-hmm. And or rather a mirror of your book back to you. And what I find is, oh, I didn't know the book was, you know, mm-hmm. oh, they, and I find that I learn about my book from other people, from what what they saw in my book and what they appreciated in my book. And 
I find that very interesting mm. because I find it very difficult to talk about the books, really, because once they're done, they're done. Mm. And they're, and I'm on to something different. I'm engaging with different characters. So reading those early reviews is really really interesting because you get oh they they really liked the three sisters mm. and i love that i love that but then after a little while i stopped reading them because then you start to get a few negative ones and i think well i just don't want that in my head when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Do you know what I'm, I'm wondering? Like when you wrote The Separation and then The Tea Planter's Wife, sometimes when I hear people talk about movies and films and they say that, you know, when we talk about movies that are successful or popular or whatever, and people say, oh, there was a good vibe on set. It was, you know, good work. We were doing this, that. I knew, I knew it was going to be successful. Did you feel the difference in those two novels and think that, okay, I think this book has done it. This is the story that's going to make the bestseller list, is going to take me to the next level. Did I? Yeah. I remember I remember my agent when she read it, she said, I just want to say this book was an absolute joy to read. Oh, wow. And I thought, hmm, that's mm. an indicator. With the Daughters of War, the new one, I can't remember who it was, but someone in Collins, I think, said, this book is an absolute joy to read. And I thought... That's what I want. You know, mm. they're tough. Tough things happen in my books. Mm. They're not, but ultimately they go away feeling good. Mm. Um, so talk to me about this one. And, and you know, it's, so it's a trilogy and this is part one. Talk to me about how you kind of plan that out in your head. You said to me it was different. You were taking a different approach. So you went to a different publisher. Talk to me about that process. Okay. So actually <laughs> it's all been turned on its head really, because I thought of this trilogy and the final book in the trilogy would be the book that is now Daughters of War. Because when I ran it past my agent, she said, no, the story you need to tell is the third one. The third uh-huh. one of the three sisters in the Dordogne in the last few months before the country is finally liberated from Nazi occupation. That's the story you have to tell, how these three sisters survive, how they, you know, how they deal with the the awful things that are happening all around them and to them. Anyway, I thought, all right, but I still want to write a trilogy. I don't know why I said that really, but that's how then 
she submitted me to HarperCollins and HarperCollins said, oh, yes, please, we'd love a trilogy. <laughs> so now I had to start with the end book and think, well, what, what do I do for book two and book three? Um, I've moved to countries closer to home. Uh, and in fact, some of a tiny bit of Daughters of War is actually set in England, though most of it is in the Dordogne in France. So then I had to think, what was the second book going to be about? And as I was writing the first book, towards the end of it, I had an idea. This was towards the end of the first mm. book. And I had an idea which meant putting in a new thread through the first book so I could pick that up as the story in the next book. And so I had the idea. And then something happens at the end of the first book, which is an automatic lead into the second book but it was all very late in the day there was no master plan which most people would say is insane and it was pretty insane really but that's what I did <laughs> but I think probably people say that to you a lot I think they do <laughs> and then and then I wrote and actually the second book is written the copy edits are done and I'm halfway through book, book three I don't doubt but, it <laughs> <laughs> But I have to say, in book three, I have found something that has never happened to me before. I really don't know what to do next. Mm. It's turning into a bit of a thriller. Mm. I never set out to do that. <laughs> and I don't know how to write a thriller. Yeah. So, well, if anyone can work it out, it's going to be you. <laughs> okay, talk to me about the research. Historical fiction is not my genre. However, a lot of my listeners, a lot of my readers, and you know, as you know, we read about, we reach about 500,000 readers a day. And a lot of the historical fiction readers are very pedantic about historical accuracy and research. Okay, so I do a massive amount of research. Um, Let's get this clear from the start. I did not set out to write a historical book. I wrote, (laughs) no, I wrote a book set in the 1950s in what was Malaya when I lived there. Yeah. I lived there. I was born in 1948. The book takes place in the mid 50s. That wasn't historical. (laughs) To me, it wasn't, you know. But then I went to the tea planter and that started in 1928. And actually, I never set out to be a historical fiction writer. I never set out to write a stream of books set in Burma and India and Malaysia. Well, Malaysia, yeah, because that's where I started. For all the books that I've set until the pandemic abroad are Burma, India, Vietnam, Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka twice, Malaysia, which I knew. And so I... The research, A, it was reading about what was going on in these countries to have a political and social context to the story, because I like stuff to be going on. It's not just about the nucleus of characters. There's stuff going on in in the separation. There was the emergency. You know, my dad, my dad, we moved every year because he was setting up the postal systems after the Japanese occupation had destroyed them. So we moved every year and he went out to these locations with two policemen with guns. You know, mum never knew if he was going to come back. Mm. So from there, I thought, well, where do I go from here? I I literally had no idea. And then I just looked around on a world map and I thought, well, all right, I daren't do India. It's too big. I don't know it. I'm frightened by it. I'll do Sri Lanka. It's littler. (laughs) (laughs) And we went to Sri Lanka and, Mm. oh, my goodness, 
Mm. I walked out of that airport and I burst into tears because there were the palm trees. There was the heat. Mm. There was that particular heat you get in the East. And it was like, it was like I went through a time tunnel and suddenly I was a nine-year-old little girl leaving Malaya, leaving my home to come to live in England. It was very emotional for me. Anyway, so from there on, I went to all these countries, learned about the countries, met people, found books that I'd never have found anywhere else, and added that to the research reading that I'd done. And somehow a, a story comes out of it, really. I try to be as accurate as possible for those mm. people who like things to be accurate. Mm. However, there is always something. There is always something. And one was, um, oh, I think it was in Tea Planter's Wife, where I think in the 1930s, early 30s, she tells her little boy to eat up her carrot, his carrots because they're good for his eyesight. Whereas, in fact, that actually wasn't generally known until the Second World War. Oh, but how on earth? How, <gasps> what a but I got, detail. I got picked up on that at an event. Wow. I know. And wow. then, same mm. book, I had the sun setting on the wrong side of the bay. Oh. And it was like, yeah, I, wow. so you see what I mean? You know, yeah. someone said, well, did they have tissues then? And I thought, well, I'm sure they did, because I tend to look things up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I'm sure I found that they did. Uh, anyway, that's the sort of thing. But most people aren't like that. But, you know, fair enough. If they want, yeah. you know, to say that sort of thing, then absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, they do seem to expect it. I think it's part of the reading process, is the learning process as well. So they want yeah. it to be truthful, even in fiction, right? Exactly. And mm. but the thing is, the thing is, it isn't non-fiction. At the end of the day, yes. the story trumps everything. It the characters, be. yeah, it has to. Yeah. It, otherwise, go and write a non-fiction book, or go and read a non-fiction book. Mm. That, you know, of course, you learn something in the books, and I like that too. But it can't be the top thing. It has to be the characters. It has to be the story, the plot, what's happening, what's going on. And more than anything, I feel, I think, I believe, whatever, that most readers want to feel something when they're reading. They want to engage. They want to feel something, whether it's horror or whether it's excitement or whether it's just uh, uh, their hearts being touched. And to me, that is the top number one thing I try to get into my books so that when they leave my book or even during the book, each reader has actually felt something. And whilst accuracy is, is, is important, at the end of the day, you're blurring your research with your imagination because these places don't exist anymore. When I go to India or when I went to Rajasthan, it's full of motorbikes, mm -hmm. you know? It wouldn't have been in the 1930s. Mm. It would have been a much different place. When I went to uh, Hanoi in Vietnam, there was very little evidence of the French occupation. There are beautiful French buildings hidden behind modern facades. It was hard to find the past. So mm. I think whilst I understand people pointing out inaccuracies, I think if they understood really understood the, the magnitude of trying to get it right, which you really do try to do really hard, as well as everything else, as well as the characters, the plot, the characterization, the location, uh, everything. Mm -hmm. um, I think they would realise that 
authors generally tending to write a book a year, if they were to get every single thing double checked and triple checked, you know, you'd get a book out once every five years and we can't do that. No. Are you going to write a book set in Spain at any point? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I have actually booked a little trip Mm -hmm. for me, my daughter and my granddaughter, a little road trip next autumn, so autumn 22, because we usually usually go, all of us, on holiday together in May to Greece, to a little Greek island, but two years in a row we haven't been able to go because of the pandemic. So we are hoping to do that next year as well. But there is a trip to Spain coming up, so who knows, that might be a book. Mm. I always say it won't be and it'll actually be a holiday, but it hardly ever is. (laughs) Hardly. I can imagine your mind doesn't stop working. And we've run out of time. Dinah, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.